0: All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 180. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you about everything that's going on here in college football. My name is Bob Hayeri. Lots of things going on in this offseason. It's been kind of exciting. We had, I guess, an advisory committee, not in a new alliance forum, as well as some other issues that we'll want to talk about. I see John's got his hand up. I'll let him up here in a moment. A quick... Rest in peace to former San Diego State linebacker, better known as actor in movies and TV, Carl Weathers, just a great actor, someone who's always been enjoyable and someone who's not been afraid to make fun of himself. He passed away at age 76. There's some great photos from his time at San Diego State. Recommend uh, checking those out if you get a chance. I see John's got a request. I'll go ahead and let you up, John. Um, some other things. Apparently, the other one of the the smaller pieces of news today, and this has been rumored for a while, but Washington has officially announced Steve Belichick as their new defensive coordinator. So I guess we'll get both Pete Carroll's son and Belichick's son on the uh, on the same football team with Jed Fish over at Washington. So that's an interesting one. The next generation of that particular college football dynasties together. Wh- whoever knew, like that's like one of those memes. We'll have a team with Belichick and Carol on the same team, but which ones? Well, that's what we know. Hey, John, what's going on? How are you?
1: Hey man, how are you doing tonight?
0: I'm good. It's just another Tuesday night. Another nice time to talk college football, a little tired, but this always kind of perks me up.
1: Yeah, it's great to hear. I, I, I threw a little bit of uh good humor up into the, uh, to the space. I hope you appreciate it. But, um, uh, the big thing I want to talk about is, uh, is I probably uh, you saw or everyone saw um, was that was being regarding uh, Jeff um, Halfley. I think I pronounced that correct. The uh, yeah. former Boston College coach that now uh, that now went over to Green Bay. Can, can we ever explain why we had so many think pieces about the state of college football from hit? I would say a very dramatic quote from him upon his exit. You know, I hate you know, hate to, you know, hit the violin, but there's not a lot of pity for myself for a guy that made four million dollars last year to coach a team to an under five hundred record. It seems to me that a very easy solution would be for him to, you know, maybe cut his salary a little bit back. Maybe hire some guys to help, you know, distribute some of us more what you know, what becoming more of a GM role right now in the college football landscape. I, I don't understand why, you know, why the why we had this pity party for a guy that honestly might not even been the coach after next season, for depending on what what would happen with Boston College. I just I I think that it's probably one well easily of all the things I saw last week. It's probably one of the most overblown things I saw
0: personally. But I'm curious of what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's a great question. So Jeff Halfley, who was up until this past week the uh, head coach of Boston College for several years um Boston College has always been a tough job he got them at least to uh you know one losing record one six and six record and then two uh slightly winning records um he left to become the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers now I know exactly what you're talking about and it's a little annoying because I it, it there's a topic that is honest and true that is in the middle of all of this but I feel like there were some pieces that were written and tweets that were made, which were kind of using a different situation to kind of as a coat to like coat rack to like hang a different issue on top of it. Um, I've heard that phrase when, when you try to kind of wedge one topic into another, because some people see Jeff Hapley departing college football to just become a coordinator in the NFL as a sign that there's bigger problems with college football coaching, you know, uh, one of the quotes, and I know Pete D'Ammel, who broke the story, also included a source that said, college coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. And and I'm not saying that is not entirely without truth. It certainly is, is a huge part of the college equation, which is different than the NFL, where you can really kind of focus on X's and O's, and players are locked in. You're not constantly trying to keep them in place. But it hasn't been all that, I mean, yes, there has been certainly, uh, the schedule's gotten a little crazier over the last five years, particularly in December, but the best head coaches in college, I mean, the ones that just retired, Nick Saban, he was a CEO type of head coach. It's He was great at recruiting, and he was great at being a CEO coach. It wasn't like he was doing a ton of X's and O's compared to, he was very good at entrusting some very talented people around him. So, what people are trying to say Halfley was leaving about, and again, you know, saying like, oh, he, he just, you know, college is untenable for some of these coaches. It, it, it seems a little dishonest only because the things that they are mentioning are things that some of the best coaches are are particularly good at. And maybe that's part of what makes them a good head coach versus like a coordinator. Now, the other kind of things that go in there, you touched on, on one of them, I thought. Is you know while BC is a really tough place like to win, it's a small school. I love. I had a chance to go see a game at Boston College. I recommend it. It's a be- or at least you see the campus. It's beautiful. It's uh, it's really funny. The campus is on the border of uh, the, the suburb of Chestnut Hill and Boston. So the stadium itself is in Boston, and almost the entire rest of the BC campus is technically not in Boston. But um, it's a cute campus. It's a compact campus. They don't have a lot of st- Students, I forgot what the. I look that up real quick. Yeah, the total number of students at um, at uh, a Boston College. It's one of the smallest schools in the ACC for certain. Yeah, it's got an undergraduates of about fifteen thousand. So not an enormous school. It's a private school. It's um, it's it's not. You know, we're talking about, and maybe we can get to this later in the show. But talking about the the new kind of uh, <laughs> advisory committee or alliance between the big. 10 in the SEC you know when we're talking about the what's other the, the the what used to call the P5 and now the P4 Boston College is certainly one of the weaker schools are in that kind of pool with with Wake Forest and Duke where they're not necessarily they don't possess the same ability to necessarily historically compete at the highest levels of college football and you know saying all of that how happily did was okay but it almost seemed like there was a little bit of of disgruntlement within um within the Boston College sort of uh, uh, community. And perhaps next season he might be a bit on the hot seat. That's sort of being compared to the whole situation with um Chip Kelly at UCLA, perhaps looking at offensive coordinator jobs in the NFL. He keeps getting mentioned for those, as as some people in RCFP have put, has there somebody asked a question? Has there ever been a more <laughs> has there ever been a team and a, a, a fan base and a coach more happy to kind of hopefully be rid of each other than than Chip Kelly and UCLA at this point where heading into the next season? Similarly, he might be on a bit of a hot seat. But, you know, at this point, he's still in his position. So I think Halfley was perhaps a guy. And also, again, to, to the, the final part about the Halfley story is he has an NFL background. Like, I mean, yeah, he's coached a little bit. In college, uh, since he was obviously a coach defensive coordinator at Ohio State for a single year before taking the B.C. job. But before that, he spent the majority of the decade in the NFL. So seeing a guy who had been in the NFL who decides to go back into the NFL, not a huge surprise. So those people have been trying to hang this in on the stress of being a college coach and how the, the sport has changed it felt a little bit disingenuous because there's always going to be guys who prefer to coach in college and guys who really prefer to coach in the NFL. And I don't think there's a wrong answer either way. But I, I get, I, going back to how I began that answer, I'm a little frustrated with it only because I think there is a serious problem with overworking college sports. They're, I mean, in fact, um, <laughs> I was supposed to do it on Monday, but we had to postpone for this, uh, for, uh, again, with Advanced Media, I do a podcast with Shannon J. Raja, and I'm going to be having... A, uh, actually one of the, the foremost experts on this topic from the University of Cincinnati, a professor. I'm going to be having an interview with him later this week, and I've been preparing for it and just kind of looking at the, the work that coaches have to put in, especially not just coaches, but there's a really interesting concept that this professor came up with with the radioactive ring, the radioactive ring around a coach, where the stress on a coach, the stress on the fact that a coach is really year to year, you don't know if you're going to be hired or fired, Um, And that stress tends to bleed into the rest of the staff and um, not just the assistant coaches, but like the folks that support the team, like the physical, the, 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 the the trainers and uh, the medical staff. And it's just this kind of stress that creates a, a, a lifestyle that is difficult and that, and kind of crosses that line between being very focused on work to being perhaps a bit of a workaholic. So all of that said though, the more you look into it, you have to ask yourself the question: There's always going to be people who want to be college coaches. There's always going to be people who want to be at the top level of college, even if it's a struggle of a job. Because you know, if you go to a school like a BC and you do really well, um, you'll probably get an you'll probably get hired by or at least an offer at an even better program with even more money. Um, unless you decide you want to go in the NFL, or or maybe some people really love being at a certain school and retire there. But it's a big question you asked. And I'm glad you did because it's been one of those those big discussion points uh, this week and and how people have been trying to frame Halfley's departure to the NFL. I think it's less a problem with coaching uh, in college in general, although there's certainly a problem. I think it's more of he's getting he probably is getting a little tired of BC because it's simply hard to win there. Um and, and he's done a fairly decent job, but probably not enough. And he was from the NFL and he misses the NFL. I think that might be just as explainable. <clears throat> Hey skip. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, oh, sorry, yeah,
1: go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, as a as a group of five a fan, I, but the, the, the pity only goes so far, man. I, I mean I'm I'm watching coaches that make a fourth of his salary on the group of five level. You know, having I would I would debate even a more stressful job where you, you are not only trying to keep your guys but you're you were you're trying to get guys on a P five and the FCS level to come to your team. Year after year, and I, I, I understand they Boston College might have the same finances, some of these teams, but, but he makes four million dollars a year. That you, you're telling me he, there's not a couple of dollars that can be thrown to a couple of guys to help him do doing some administrative and GM work. At the end of the day, I don't know. I just, I, it, it's hard for me to the look of what his salary is, his performance at BC, and then. And then you know I'll have, you know, try to throw these tears out at him when he says, you know, the game is
0: broken and et
1: cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, no, no, I agree. And that that's part of the issue there is uh, some of the folks making the comments like Kirk Street. you're like, Man, I think you've I know I know it's coming from a good place, but it doesn't sound all that sympathetic. Um, when you have someone who's yeah, a millionaire Kirk, yeah. asking us to cry for another yeah, millionaire.
1: Yeah, oh. yeah, I know. Kurt Kirk, Kirk kills me because that's 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 like a BP executive asking why is global warming a thing? Why why is why are the ice caps melting? while he's pumping oil right out of the ocean? I, the, yeah that that yeah that's a whole nother discussion though with with what with an ESPN figurehead talking about the how how much college football has changed. Yeah okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You know. Um... One thing also, this kind of just, uh, and I just want to kind of throw this out there, one of the people that has obviously been heavily discussed about potentially replacing uh, Halfley is Bill O'Brien, who was just hired as the Ohio State offensive coordinator. Um, He apparently really wants the job, and they want him. They're just kind of hammering out the details. There was a really hot, I I wouldn't say the hottest take, but, but I feel Dennis Dodd got a little bit of heat for this, but he's like, you know, there's a reason he felt that he would take that job, and it was actually trying to tie it to the Michigan rivalry. Because if Ohio State doesn't beat this, is, this is Dennis Todd. If Ohio State doesn't beat Michigan, uh, you know O'Brien has to consider he'd get blown out with the rest of the staff. So he said like he'd get fired with with Ryan Day and all of that stuff after less than a year. And he thinks there's a better security at Boston College. I mean, I have to admit, if Ryan Day were to lose to Michigan this year, it would be, I, I cannot imagine what would happen, especially with the the February national championship that they have won um, with all the stuff that has happened since the title game um, and all the uh, the departures happening at Michigan right now. It was a really, I, I tweeted it only moments before uh, we started this because, I haven't had a chance to really review as many comments as I, I'd like to on RCFB, but somebody was talking about, I believe, it was in the Jesse Minters departing for, it's um, been finalized as the Chargers' new defensive coordinator. And, then I, and there was another coach I know who was also, um, uh, um, Mike Elston, who was also taken uh, the defensive line coach for Michigan's also heading to the Chargers. And someone's like, you know, Michigan fan that commented, you know, slow down, Jim, just, just slow down, you know, take a breather. And then, you know, somebody replied, uh, uh, one of our good friends ago, Live 91, Jim takes the oxygen masks and tanks to L.A. as well. So if it's not bolted down, that's kind of the joke. It's it's going with Jim into to Los Angeles right now. But that's a bit of a stressor. Speaking of which, Ski masks Murphy, how are you? Did I... Wait. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm good. Right oh, yeah,
2: yeah, I'm good. No, I hit it like
0: five times in a
2: row. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm doing good tonight. Doing good. I sort of wanted to talk about, I guess, two stories. One, to double back from last week. I mean, it's not fully college football related, but it may bleed into it. And then the second one would definitely bleed into college football. I wanted to double back on the story where we talked about um, sports betting with Keon Booth. And then oh, we yes. ended up about, and then I ended up bringing up the um, that Alabama-LSU game. And I
0: think
2: it was – I think it was – Thursday or Friday they actually well he has like a very weird suspension but also like the whole story behind it is also funny as well but I guess for anyone listening who doesn't know what happened basically during the spring last year basically some weird weird bets were coming out of the state of Ohio on a baseball game between Alabama and LSU and basically through this full investigation basically found out the coach Basically, was getting his best friend to bet on the game before he was able to tell everyone that their star pitcher was not gonna be pitching that game. And like this text basically saying, hurry up, let me know when we get the bet so I can hand my lineup card to the other coach. And basically, his suspension is for 15 years a show called suspension. Basically, the NCAA is saying, We can't <laughs> prove he eventually tried to lose this game, but If you want to hire him, you're gonna have to show us a good reason why he should still be allowed to coach.
0: Yeah, I believe he got specifically a five-year suspension and then a 15-year show cause. So yeah, he's he's basically out of college sports. I mean, they just kicked him out effectively. But it's so funny too. I was hearing some of the details of it. So they go to I think it was I think it was in Cincinnati. uh, One of these like these sports books. And the guy tries to book like a hundred or maybe actually might be more. than, might be like half a million dollars. He he,
2: he was trying he was trying to put down a hundred thousand dollar bet.
0: Yeah, hundred thousand dollar bet on a random SEC baseball game, which immediately got everyone's like, "Okay, what are you doing?" You know, go to any sports, small sports book and try to bet them. Even go to Ve- go to Vegas, and suddenly put an enormous amount of money on a game no one's paying attention to, and they're going to notice as well. So, But apparently this guy they sent to to be their, like, point person, he was, like, a, a, like just incredibly bad at his work. He was, like, telling the guys, you know, like, come on, i get, get got to get this bet in. And eventually they kind of talked him down. They said, we won't let you bet all of that. We'll let you bet 15000 And he was getting, like, really upset. And he's like, you know, i got to get this in now. I have information. You know, he showed them the text from the coach. Like the, That's you know, nice I mean, he he literally gave all the information to the casino, and I mean, like, the, I love how stupid that is because it's like sometimes you in life people will have a moment where you you think you're being helpful by giving information without realizing it, you're literally giving it to your opponent, and I mean, he forgot that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the NCAA is your opponent, but if you're a gambler. The, the betting, like who you're betting with, is your opponent. The people who made the odds are the opponent. You're trying to you're trying to be smarter than the casino. You don't go to the casino and say, "Hey, I have uh, I have some inf- inside information that is completely illicit that's going to change the outcome of this game." Um, they're not going to take your bet. So, yeah, it, it, that that whole story is just so bonkers. Um, and, and the more details you read about it, the more you just like these are the stupidest people on earth who got in trouble. Um, and track that coach with them, And and the funny part about it is sort of like he really
2: could have gotten away with it because basically they told him like, hey, for what you're trying to bet on, we're just going to limit you to $10,000. And then if he would have just did that, he probably would have got away with it. But it was the fact he kept insisting, no, let me get my full $100,000 on this. That raised everyone's eyebrows. And then he's like sitting there showing them. I can't believe I wish I could see the video footage just to see how stupid this played out with him literally holding the phone up and showing him, yes, look what I have. Look at the inside information I have. That in reality, like, there's a reason where there's like a whole like system of agreements between basically all these sports leagues and these sports books because it's very easy to bankrupt a sports book if you could actually fix a game and get be able to bet on it. <laughs> exactly.
0: Hey, John. I see your hand up. Did you want to add to this?
1: Yeah, I, I just want to say, I, I wonder who's the, the stupider person in this situation that that guy himself, for you know, not you know, of course, you know, the guy who went to the actual sports bet for for that coach, or the coach himself, knowing this who probably how, how what type of guy this guy is, entrusting him with his his future livelihood and his life. I, I'm not sure who who the who the dumber person is in this situation? That's that's I'm not. That's the, that's the most mind-boggling part. Is that guy probably knew this? The coach probably knew this guy pretty well. Well, if, I think there, know, there was actually a group. This. From it's what like, I
0: understand, there was a group of them. So there was one guy who was actually more savvy and was also like a, a very avid gambler who was like a friend of the program and and had you know connections in Ohio with a bunch of other folks in in the area. And then there was a group of them. So I think it might have been one of the the. One of this this Ohio group of friends that went in to do it, but they picked literally the worst possible person to do it—the one who had no savvy, no panache, the person who would be the worst spy in history. Um, <laughs> you know, can you can you or, or the worst you know the worst informant? You know, can you imagine this person at like a really high stakes mob beating, like talking to somebody and like leading his chest out, kind of like trying to bring the mic closer to? Can you speak? You know, can you speak closer to my buttons? They, I just want you to speak to my chest, Don. You know, Don Corleone. You know, I, it just, it's, it's utterly. I've never seen something this dumb, and it, it's impressive. I mean, you gotta, you have to imagine that coach is sort of like, are you like, are you kidding me? You showed them the text. You showed them the text. But uh, no. yeah, I, I would
1: say if he was a, if if he's a sniper, he would be wearing lights and neon to the field. I I just I don't I don't it's just, it's, it, it almost seems, it feels like a bad TV
0: skit yeah like it it almost doesn't seem real. Good. Can you just look this way? Just look this way. Let's so imagine like the the enemy at the gates, the bottom battle of Stalingrad, and seeing him as a as a sniper. Just hey, can you Nazis like look this way? Don't don't fire weapons. Just, just raise your hand. Um, anywho, uh, another thing, obviously, I've kind of touched on a little bit is uh, the SEC and Big Ten have formed their advisory committee Um, where it's going, you know, we're it's like, are we going to get them being nefarious and pushing people out? I mean, let's, let's be clear the next two seasons, we have a 12 team playoff for sure, but there is no plan for what comes afterwards. So I'm pretty sure at least for the 2024 and 2025 season, we're going to have a 12 team playoff. Things are going to go as they are, but it's, it's people are not without reason to be a little bit wary of where things are going. I mean, suddenly you have the two biggest conferences coming together. Now, are they going to be a benevolent dictatorship? I don't know. Maybe dictatorship's not quite right. Maybe, you know, tram, the triumvirate, You need one more. But are they going to be like the uh, a duopoly kind of, you know, dictating how things are going to work? Um, there is a thought because, for example, the NCAA seems to have accepted the fact that things are going to change. And that's when you had... Um, Charlie Baker, the NCAA president's proposal to create sort of a breakaway, not breakaway, but like a new division for the top football teams. But I'm not sure it's going to be enough, especially with all the litigation that's coming and the NCAA is pretty much doomed. Um, not doomed, but I mean, their, their ability to stop things from going, I think, to employees, especially what we just uh, so happened at Dartmouth of all places, um, seems to be pretty uh, tenuous at best. There is a thought that, and and it's an interesting thought, that has the NCAA just lost so much credibility, um, the name has been so tarnished that maybe this would be an opportunity for um, a new association sort of spearheaded by the SEC and Big Ten. Perhaps they would need to be included. I think the problem is they have to be careful. We saw what happened in soccer when people tried to form a Super League and you ended up with revolts in a lot of random places. I, I don't know if that might happen, but... If the Big Ten and uh, SEC were to suddenly say, like, okay, let's create a new football-only division uh, association, we'll create a commissioner, you know, some people said Sankey would be an interesting one, I mean, the dream would be someone like a Nick Saban, but let's, let's try and make top college football its own conference, and then move everyone back in every other sport in the NCAA, keep it there, and maybe even go back to the old conferences to make a little more sense out of it. I mean, you can go into dreamy land there a little bit. I mean, but realistically, though, I think, for example, this week, uh, today at, yesterday, I should say, and today, uh, there is the CFP meetings going on in Dallas. And the timing was kind of interesting because they seemed to be quite skeptical about what was going to be taking place, how things were going to turn out. Because, of course, The way the uh, CFP decisions are structured, it has to be a unanimous vote. And the Pac-12 still exists with two very, very upset teams in it. Uh, And they are not likely to necessarily want to just go along with everything. Um, So there has been a rumor that they are trying to and maybe this has been, I haven't had a chance to read all the news this evening, but they are trying to leverage their ability to hold up all decision-making on promises for payouts that would continue beyond 2025. Based on what I just said earlier, you can see how that might be a problem, because if there is no playoff arrangement beyond 2025, and this new SEC Big Ten arrangement decides to create a new playoff where all the college football teams would go to, they might just wait out the remaining, the, the, the surviving Pac-2 teams um, and, and see where it goes. I'm not saying they would totally box them out, and not want them to participate in a new particular uh, uh, football playoff or football organization, but it seems like that may just contribute to potential loggerheads on where this might go. Now, again, I, I will acknowledge the potential dark scenario here. The evil scenario would be the two, conferences decide to just make it about themselves to take their 34 teams and stage their own national championship i mean there would be a tv market for it certainly but it would antagonize it would create a lot of stress and frankly is again another point i've heard and i believe it was um uh, uh, Dan Wetzel had pointed out, it's like you got to play somebody here. You got to play other teams. You know, you, you don't want to just keep playing the best teams. You do want those FCS programs, those G five programs, as well as, frankly, you know, some other of these the 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 other teams that are in the the other the mid two or the the other part of the P four. That uh, John, I see your hand up.
1: Uh, I was going to say, uh, I think you guys kind of summarize the best in, with the NCAA Where you mentioned you guys, put that fake Grayson was saying we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. The NCAA like did this to themselves. They they've had decades in that really you know, approach this issue properly, and they've really just put themselves in this hole because they have been completely non proactive and really anti proactive when it comes to the, it comes to the sport as a whole.
0: Absolutely, yeah, they've been too. They, they, for the longest time, wanted to just pretend like they would win every case um, and would operate under that assumption. And finally, it came apart. You know, there was, and I know it's it's behind a paywall for a lot of people, but there was a decent article uh, by Stuart Mandel in The Athletic kind of going over the 10 of the many moments of watching the NCAA's power erode um, mm-hmm. since 1977 when uh, Tark the Shark first challenged a uh, a decision to uh, punish him, you know, by the NCAA. But it sort of shows how, again, you know, especially in the last, I would say, 20 years, the NCAA kind of had hints that things were going in this direction but never created a contingency plan. And so, yeah, as soon as NIL was the greatest example, when California um, passed the legislation and then the NCAA slapped them down in the Alford case, uh, slightly different reasoning, but made it clear that good luck trying to Trying to win in any courtroom. If you come back here, we're gonna we're gonna break you apart or at least hit you again. Um, that that really caught them surprisingly flat footed because that's the thing. I mean, right now, with what Charlie Baker's doing, you can sense at least they have the concept of contingency planning. But I think the conferences have been a little bit more smart about it, they've been a little more proactive about it, especially now. And this advisory group seems to be the next step. I mean, there have been comments that Tony Petiti came in wanting to kind of at least have a detente, I mean, rather than a cold war with Greg Sankey. And so they've been meeting on a pretty frequent basis. So I think maybe they're trying to come up with a way to uh, to be leaders when I think they've, there's been a lot of grumbling that there is no real leadership. You know, interesting, I'm just going to note one more thing before I also uh, uh, you know, see Ski Mask's Murphy's hands up. Um one of the other kind of factors in you know, this is uh, the, today, and I want to I state that this is not, some people are seeing this as a defeat. It's not. A judge denied Tennessee's request for a temporary restraining order, because some people may know that the uh, NCAA is going after Tennessee over some uh, supposed NIL violations that really, you know, the details that have come out don't seem all that severe. It just seems like suddenly in the last few months, NIL's, uh, NIL rules are suddenly being enforced by the NCAA. But um, Tennessee and, of course, Virginia joined their uh, uh, attorney general in challenging the law. But Tennessee requested also a temporary restraining order, which would basically like it would keep the NCA from being able to enforce its rules. Now, this has worked before Um, in, in the state of West Virginia. States managed to. I mean, last month mu- or two, actually, Now, I guess it's two months ago in December, put a temporary restraining order on the NCA transfer rule because they were trying to bring back the transfer rule into force where undergrads wouldn't be able to constantly move um, without, the, you know, not, not talking about the graduate transfer rule, but to, to reduce the number of transfers. And it got successfully not only, well, the case hasn't resolved, but they got a, a judge to agree to do a temporary restraining order. So the NCA has not been able to enforce it. So the door is still open to whoever wants to transfer in the portal. Um, This particular situation, the judge said, while it seems like the merits of the Tennessee, Virginia arguments will probably win or at least have the ability to win um, under Sherman antitrust law, he didn't see the value in in granting the temporary restraining order for now. So that doesn't mean Tennessee is lost. It just means there's somewhat of different standards, different bars of requirements to, to grant certain things and I, he just, this judge didn't necessarily see the necessity to rush this temporary restraining order through and feels it's fine just letting the case move forward while noting that it seems like the arguments of Tennessee and Virginia may be strong enough to defeat the NCAA on this particular issue. Um, Steve S. Murphy, what's up? Yeah, you, so, you sort of started leaning into the second topic I wanted to talk about.
2: Um, so I think it just happened, like, yesterday, but I didn't dig too deep into it, but Dartmouth, winning, well, seemingly winning their case, similar to Northwestern did years ago with their basketball players, now being considered employees of the university and can potentially move towards unionizing. How do you feel about that? And what do you see happening this time versus what happened with Northwestern?
0: Yeah, it was interesting because this this case, in so to give people a, a heads up, so out in Dartmouth, which is of course you know right on the border of New Hampshire and Vermont, it's in it's technically in New Hampshire, but the Ivy League school was had an NRLB, or NLRB, National Labor Relations Board regional ruling because they break up this federal administrative uh, organizations broken up into regions. So the the local region decided to rule that uh, their um, that uh, the union election for Dartmouth men's basketball team could go ahead and move forward uh the uh region one and it's not a judge's kind of a is is a weird way to phrase it because these are administrative laws a little bit wacky. I mean it can be appealed to a like a higher court but it's it's slightly different than let's say like a, a traditional court ruling. But Lord Sachs of the of the region one which is based in Boston and, and where is this is the closest district that's in the region that uh Dartmouth is in determined players are employees under the NLRB Primarily because the players perform work in exchange for compensation. So this isn't a shocker when you hear a phrase that way. This is a very plain reading of, I think, how a lot of people see student athletes in their roles in the university, particularly now that they're being compensated, particularly Um, Since universities are full of of, uh, student employees, you know, people who are doing work study programs or whatever. So this particular administrative uh, law, administrative person for the NLRB said the players are, in other words, students and employees. So Dartmouth is almost certainly going to ask the uh, national, uh, the agency's national board in Washington to conduct a review. Um, So that's their version of the appeals process. And it could quite, after, again, the wheels of justice turn slowly, it could be a few years and could end up in front of the Supreme Court because this is all federal. Um, But for now, that means the players can vote on forming a union. As I recall, Northwestern players didn't vote to form a union when they had the opportunity. But it'll be interesting to see here if they move forward to do it. I have to say, though, we've been waiting for moments like this. I don't know if this particular ruling is going to be what opens up the dam uh, but it's one of the cracks and one of the expected cracks because it, realistically with how things are going across the nation with all the different litigation with with the the different maneuvers that are being made and sometimes in unintentionally because you know you'll hear, uh, some people say like, oh, we don't want the the players to be to be employees, while their legislators and who they may have very well voted for are also trying to pass laws saying the NCAA can't enforce its rules and to to strengthen the NIL deals. And it's any judge, a lot. of, I mean, it, the the ruling here, the saying that you know, in effect, that these students are basically getting uh, work for compensation. This is. Dartmouth, okay, this is an Ivy League school. They don't get scholarships, but there's still enough work being done here. There's still enough being goods being exchanged for services that they are willing to say that this is these people are employees. If you look at FBS, I mean, can you imagine? It's like, yeah, you know, we're, it, we're all littered with this stuff. I mean, like, it is, it, we're just waiting for a judge. To make an even clearer ruling, not necessarily someone uh, working for the NLRB, but I mean someone who is actually in a, a court of law to rule explicitly that uh, students are employees. It, it's it's inevitable. I mean, it is foolish to think that it's not inevitable. I'm saying that just pure realism. If I was if I was advising someone, you know, in my background as an attorney, I would say like this isn't this isn't an if. This is a when. Um, so what happened at Dartmouth uh, this week? is just another, one of the bigger cracks to form. I think it's going to get less attention because it's uh, Dartmouth men's basketball, because it's non-scholarship, even though it's D1 basketball. um, It is absolutely worth paying attention to because um, this is going to be another one that is going to to be probably, while it's not going to be controlling, it's not a precedent for a court of law in other states, I'm going to guarantee you, judges are are still allowed to look at it. They're going to probably go, huh, yeah, that's persuasive, you know, when they're going to make another decision somewhere else, they're going to say like, you know, they'll point to that NLRB decision and and use that as an example. So I want to caution that, that, you know, putting it realistically is important and uh, and is a sign of potentially things to come. John, and then Ski Mask Murphy.
1: So hypothetically, I'm, I'm, I'm that's a very big hypothetical. Let's say this all gets through, you know, the unionized, you know, they essentially decide, you know, hey, we're going to pay these athletes. What do you think a substitute for the for colleges, universities to get around this would be essentially take away scholarships and then have the scholarship money do out as a salary versus them just getting a straight scholarship. So in the way they are still getting paid, but you know, there it's, it, it's not a, any cost loss to the university. I, I just, I just say that because I, I imagine of course the doomsday scenario of, you know, of course you have to pay all the athletes in your athletic program, which, you know, leads to either program shutting down on the smaller scale or, for bigger programs, even cutting sports, so I was, I'm kind of curious of what a potential around would be done by the universities because you know they're going to try something to work around this if it ever actually did occur.
0: Yeah, no, they there is there's so only so much I think they could do in the in the sense of like taking a scholarship, getting rid of it, and the cash for school. I think that might. I'm not sure if that would be because you're going to end up asking yourself what market rate is. So if and if you can't have all the universities colluding together because that's going to be a, that'll, that'll, that's one quick way to get a court mad at you. Um, I'm not sure, Honestly, I'm not sure that they could they could pull that off. I think it'll be interesting to see, though. I think the bigger concern is if the universities are forced to pay all athletes the same amount of money. Some schools, we've talked about this in previous shows are going to be in a real bad situation. And I'm not even, some of the schools are surprising because for example, Auburn does not feel that many teams. So yeah, they'll pay all their football players who are probably all, they, they'll still be in the black um, funding the, you know, the football team, but they don't, they, they don't have that many. It's like 16 teams. Somebody mentioned somewhere, but I mean, it's like 30, 3000 something athletes, which is on the low side. Meanwhile, Stanford, likes to compete in everything um oddly enough we were just talking about earlier boston college likes to compete in a lot of sports that that you know not everyone does like hockey and so suddenly we have a team that that's got a thousand extra students that they've got to pay and you're right those would be the ones where you're a little concerned if they have to pay them all the same amount of money they may look at some of those other sports a little harder and say like are we getting the uh or what what are we getting from this sport and even though college athletics especially the vast majority of, of sports which are non-revenue were really just to give opportunities to to you know, give people fuller college experience maybe give some opportunities for some folks to to, to attend college um, that may not have been able to um or at least based on a, a reward athletic talent they're suddenly forced into a uh, a cost benefit analysis that may not be tenable now the the hope is that And this is where it gets funny. The idea of creating a separate association, either... I'm not sure... Charlie Baker's, even though it's within the NCAA, would still kind of apply. But especially, let's say, hypothetically, this new SEC Big Ten Advisory Committee creates a football-only rival to the NCAA. That would be competition. And that's good. Because then suddenly you actually get a lot of the courts off your back. And if we allow the football teams to be in their own little zone with their own rules, perhaps... What's affecting the uh, the rest of the sports might not require the same amount of uh, difficulty, especially if they if it, it might cut down on the amount you have to pay everybody. But I, the idea of taking a scholarship and just getting rid of it and paying them the cash, I'm not sure that would be enough um, for a lot of reasons, and, and certainly it would, it would create. Uh, I, there's got to be some ripples there. I'm, I'm, it's an interesting idea, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, could, could they work around and call them seasonal employees and then try to use that as a, <laughs>
2: you
1: know, as a way to <laughs> work around, like, quote-unquote?
0: <laughs> yeah, all are. Yeah, they all go back home over the summer, so they're migrant workers. Yeah, I am trying to imagine, like, <laughs> some of these arguments. Oh, my goodness. Ski Bass Murphy, you've been really patient. Oh,
2: yeah. I was going to say that it feels like, I mean, it took a while for Northwestern to do their case and now Dartmouth really only like 10 years later, it feels like a lot of athletes are going to be able to keep making this case again and again to at least be considered somewhat, at least minimally part-time employees. Because like it's within the agreements of the NCAA that no student can participate in more than 20 hours of athletic, athletically related activities. But everyone knows like these schools, all because it says no more than 20 doesn't mean they're not going to push it. And they basically require them all to get, you know, four hours, four days a week, then their competition day. Then, yeah. like, a little bit of stuff outside of that, like, in football, like, reading your – trying to require you to read your playbook and stuff like that. And then you also have, like, the – I know Alabama abuses it to the most, like, that um, that the out-of-school period where class is no longer in session. So – um basically, like, that 20-hour limit does not apply per week anymore. And they just, you know, put them through the ringer, which is normally their time building up to the um to a playoff or national title. And I think, like, once you add it up, it's going to be easy for, like, athletes to keep making and making this case again. I think eventually the NCAA is just going to lose. They're going to have to figure something out soon.
0: Yeah, and that's why, you know, as, as crazy as it sounded, I, I'm wondering if, this is the the, the the way it'll have to be, that the NCAA will not necessarily be gotten rid of, but they'll just simply happily allow football to depart. Because that's the thing, too. They don't make... For those... I mean, anyone who's listening usually in an offseason probably is a little more knowledgeable about this stuff, so I'm not trying to, to say you all don't know this, but, I mean, the NCAA doesn't really make money off of football. They make it off of college basketball tournament. That's That's where they make the, the vast majority of their money. Maybe... And another ten years, I'll even make a little bit of money off of the uh, the NCAA hockey tournament. I think they do make some off of it, but you know, uh, only it's it's not nearly as big, and it's really just the Frozen Four. But the uh, you know, it was interesting too. I believe the CFP only has to pay the NCAA like ten thousand dollars per game. Like that is literally because it it's just the flat fee. The NCAA just hasn't changed the rules, so they they treat it just like a bowl game. Um, even though the amount of money there is obviously quite a a bit higher than that. Uh, So, you know, the idea of them leaving and creating a football-only conference that removes them from the whole issue that could affect... Because, again, I'm sympathetic more than most people are to the NCAA, not because I think they're right. I think they've made so many mistakes, but because they also have so many teams that are in, you know... Not only the rest of D1, you know, including FCS, but they have D2 and D3. So there's a lot of schools out there that are watching all of this, kind of a little nervous, kind of a little horrified, because, you know, I was just having this discussion the other day with someone. I'm like, you know, every now and again you'll hear, oh, you know, usually once or one or two teams a year, one or two universities a year announces, we're adding football, we're adding an NAIA football team, we're adding a, a D3 football team. And, uh, you know, even a D2 football team, it's, it's often a ploy. You'll usually see the schools a little on the smaller side, um, especially if it's a private school that has been kind of dwindling in enrollment. Uh, you know, adding a football team, some you get, you know, even D2, even a handful of scholarships, you're going to get a bunch of non-scholarship people that are paying retail price to go to the university. And the idea of suddenly disrupting all of these, these are not athletic departments that can afford to pay anybody. So there might be ways around it. I'm not sure. But even at the D1 level, can you imagine? I mean, you know, I hate always picking on them. But what will this do to poor old Akron? You know, (laughs) there's a lot of questions of Akron should even, you know, when they, they were, people may not realize they were not, I mean, it was like 93 when they moved up from FCS, um, Will they end up being like Idaho and having to eventually move back down, or will they just have to to drop a bunch of sports? You know, it, those are the other teams that I think are in concern, and I think that's why the NCAA sometimes acts a little strange, and why I think maybe the way things are going, they would be a little more relieved if the uh, SEC and Big Ten and their advisory group just elects to create something for all these these troublemaking football teams to to go and move to, so that they can you know go back to being. An administrative organization that is more focused on uh, the other sports and all the other thousands of athletes that aren't being dragged into this. But it's a thought. I don't know. So, you know, another interesting thing uh, again, some of these stories apparently we're going to get a new joint streaming, sports streaming platform this year. ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery. I forgot, I think that's technically the name of the company now. I, I still remember when it was Time Warner and then Time Warner AOL because I'm really old. Uh, they are going to apparently create some joint streaming sports platform this year. I'm not going to be a fan of it. It's sort of funny. I, when I read, read that, I'm like, they have come together to form what we're going to call a cable company. Um, Or <laughs> it's like we, we saw all of these, the, the, the cord cutting, we saw all of these streaming options. People have gotten really, I think, tired of them. Um, and uh, now it seems like uh, things just keep getting a little bit murkier. Uh ski master Murphy, I saw your hand up.
2: This just seems like another awful idea from all the what is it? Is it like I don't know, they all do mergers off. I don't know if it's even six anymore. Is it like the big four media companies now? But this just seems like another horrible idea that they've all cooked up. And I think they realize that um sports is really the only thing on. The only thing really on television that, you know, there is a need to see it live and see it actually happen because no one wants to watch a, a rerun of a football game when everybody already knows it happens. Like, it's like trying to watch the Super Bowl on Monday. It You're not going to want to watch it because you already know the result. Everyone's told you it's going to happen versus a TV show where, you know, you just get the thrill of it when you feel like getting the thrill of it. And it's, you know when it actually happens in real life, it it's gonna be the, it's gonna be the exact same thing every time when you watch the TV show, watch a specific episode. But every game is different because there's different things going on with the players, yada yada. But I think this is just another bad move, and I think all these media companies trying to sort of vertically integrate the whole process of film from production to viewer has backfired on my a Because so I don't know if you're aware, but like. I think Peacock, Disney Plus, and Paramount Plus are all like losing around like half one and a half billion dollars a year on their networks. So I don't know if this is gonna fix it for them, but I do know as far as Disney goes, ESPN is like their extreme money maker. I forgot which company put out the um, what do you call it? The uh, where they all come together for the call, the shareholders meeting, and they put out all. Like the numbers for Disney, and I think this may be like media's last big opportunity to try to keep making money before it sales. fails.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right on that. I mean, because ESPN historically was D- Disney's cash cow. I mean, you know, right into the, I'd say the mid 2010s, it, it still was. I mean, it was just incredible the amount of money ESPN was generating because the the, per, the percentage of your cable bill that was just going to pay for ESPN. Is something I think some people never even comprehend, comprehended until some of the, the fights started to erupt about 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, where the numbers were actually being kind of mentioned as, uh, you know, like DirecTV or um, Dish and some of these other uh, networks were starting to complain about the money that was getting. And also like the Pac-12 network was failing at trying to get that same kind of money um, that they thought they could get, which obviously didn't work out. So that's when we started to hear all of these things. And I think a lot of people, especially non-sports fans, are getting really pissed about that. Because I mean, you can't blame them. I mean, you're paying how much per month for, for TV? I don't watch. Um, and the majority of, of your cable bill in some cases, or at least a significant chunk. So we led to the, the court cutting, which is continuing. I think this is certainly, I, I don't know how they're going to sell this. But like, this is like, this seems like such a bad idea. And I agree because, I am one of the people that, when I can get a chance, I will fully admit I do YouTube TV for the season, and then happily cancel at the end of the season. And even then, I'm getting a little more annoyed because the price keeps going up on YouTube TV. Um, and I, one thing that came up last summer, right before the Pac-12 imploded, was the the terrible, well, not terrible, but the deal that was offered, the one that that caused the the the, the Deal to, or I should say, the rest of the teams that were going to leave to finally leave, was one built around using you know Apple, built around uh, you know streaming, built around you know milestones that may or may not be met, and the the interesting kind of side discussion was even though I think it was pretty universally agreed, even with people that were uh, were were kind of discussing the the future of of media, that at least for this round that was just not an attractive deal. However people in the know, at least those are used to forecasting where media is going, said the deal the Pac-12 saw is probably the kind of deal that we're going to see the next time the Big Ten and SEC media deals come up. Um, And the hope is that streaming services will be strong enough that they can offer a comparable amount to what they can offer now. But what the Pac-12 was being offered was basically a perspective hopeful like maybe this is the future of how cable is going to be distributed um, Well, what well, is almost certainly the future um particularly the next 10 years of how it's going to evolve but the numbers just weren't close to what could be provided by traditional terrestrial cable channels so that is it it's interesting to look at and when you look at this this espn fox warner brothers uh joint sports streaming platform concept it seems like they're trying to come up with some kind of middle ground and trying to come up with something that works. But I think it's also a sign that they're all, frankly, quite desperate because they don't exactly know how to match the the peak of this channel, which was uh, sports channels about you know 15 years ago when they were out there at the peak of their strength and you know control. Because now this kind of uh, the 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 cord cutting, which is again not necessarily not not in any way denigrating it, I think it made a lot of sense. But this kind of uh, this kind of collapse of the cable empires into these disparate factions is, has sort of led to this. Uh, John, your hands up.
1: Yeah. Uh, so two points. Um, first, being you know I I feel at this point streaming uh, you know streaming services are you know and cable is just the animal farm analogy. You know we 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 essentially you know, chased out the uh, the farmers that were cable, and now the pigs are now just are playing human inside the house. I mean, it's just that's I we just hit we're hitting that that crucial point where now it's we're really it's hard to tell the difference what was cable and what is a streaming service other than you know convenience. Um, second thing I was going to put, uh, not as related, but you know I, I I see ESPN lose money every year, and especially on streaming. I, I I I beg the ask the question, what what where are they losing the money at? As someone who recently got into ESPN Plus, I felt bamboozled for what I was paying for. It, it barely works half the time. And when it does work, I feel like I'm watching something that was recorded on a 1986 camcorder. Two guys commentating that sound like they came from a local bar. And it, like, it feels like the whole thing is running on hope and dreams. I, as I, I'm just really curious where ESPN is losing the money
0: at at this point. Well, I think part of the loss is just the reduction in the amount of cable subscriptions. That's what is that's what's been hurting them. Um, and I, it's interesting, too, because that's been that's been a bigger question in a lot of business reporting on what's going on in media. You know, I remember there was a New York Times article over the summer about how ESPN went from like Disney's financial engine to kind of a problem. And uh the concern is ESPN's best days are kind of behind them. Uh, again, as Schema S. Murphy provided a tweet that's now at the top of the um, the screen, but it, it kind of gets into the the, the details that he was talking about, where, you know, you know at, a, at a shareholder meeting, um, ESPN still delivers more than $16 billion for Disney's financial year in 2022 um, and $2.9 billion in profit. Uh, so that it is still, I guess, huh, it is still a bit of a moneymaker, at least overall. But it is decreasing, and that is the bigger concern. And I think everyone has watched this slow decline, um, and that's a concern because it's remember what Wall Street wants is growth, and if ESPN isn't actually growing, that's making Disney put puts Disney in an awkward position. Where uh, at least for their own, because I mean, ultimately they, they care about the shareholders. Um, they're not gonna. They're, they, it's not where it was, and it, it forces them to look elsewhere. Uh, excuse me, Smurfy, I know your hands up, um, or was up. Uh. <laughs> oh, you, you you were basically explaining what I was what I was gonna say
2: after I put put the information up on the Summer Jam screen. But yeah, I think it's a little surprising. I think most people would be surprised, like how much. ESPN and ABC Sports are like really like a massive profit arm of the total conglomerate that is Disney, and I think yeah to go to your point and what and what John was trying to question is like it's not that you know ESPN's doing bad and like they still make a good profit. It's like because the numbers just slowly going down, Disney's worried, and I'm guessing. If we looked at other similar companies they'd probably be worried as well their sports packages and how it's all really just connected to cable and how everyone's cutting the cord but yeah john to your um espn plus statement i mean for me when i first got it for for five dollars a month it's a lot of content but it's like uh i don't know there was like that one network before it became like the acc network. Or it's like you're you're literally just seeing like all the regional games and it's it feels like they're filming yeah
1: it feels like they're filling the games on the potato like i don't understand like how how i feel like if someone could bring their iphone I could watch the game better on the iphone versus yeah, some, some of the camera work
2: I
0: see sometimes
2: yeah a, a lot of those games you you can tell es did not provide any of those cameras it's whatever yeah, they, they had. Said,
0: to see. I believe they hire local production crews to kind of cover this because they simply don't have the, the the sheer amount of equipment to cover all of those, and they you know hire local uh, talent to also do that. It's almost like the farm version of uh, it's like the minor leagues, um, which I'm sure. Oh gosh, I, I know exactly the network you you're talking about, and it's bugging me because I've watched it before. Oh, uh, the predecessor of the ACC network that used to carry all the 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 second tier games in the in the the east and the south the mid Atlantic in the southeast region oh my goodness try to remember that one but I'll, I'll remember in a second but yeah no I I, I see what you're saying there and, and that's a, one of my favorite games I ever watched. I may have mentioned this in the past is a New Mexico State game when they hired when they hosted Minnesota and the only people they had to film the game were actually the student uh, like New Mexico State's like student TV. And New Mexico State might be like, I didn't know they had a student TV. I didn't know they had a film pro- production or whatever. They, 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 I'm not sure it was like a full on school. So that was some of the strangest camera work I have ever seen in a college football game. Because it was literally undergrads trying to figure out how to film a uh, <laughs> New Mexico State versus a Big Ten school. It was chaotic. It was a mess. But, and you felt bad for one, because you're kind of like, you know, I don't know if I would have done any better than undergrad, but you're kind of like, I'm watching a college football game where they're all learning on the job. And it, it felt kind of awkward, and it was very, uh, someone who who lives in Minnesota kind of fit the Minnesota thing. I mean, it's either that, start there and end your season, then the quick lane bowl, that, that's that's Minnesota football for you. Excuse me, ask Murphy.
2: Raycom Sports. I had to look it up.
0: Yeah,
2: but there was another one, too. It wasn't just Raycom. I swear. Um, Raycom, you know, Raycom, Valley has a different amount of them. Spectrum had their own ones. But it was Raycom, but they were, I know the other Jefferson one.
0: Pilot, also, Jefferson Pilot. That was, there, yeah, I think they were related. Because I, I remember you'd occasionally see the Jefferson Pilot logo come on. But uh, they I guess they were related to Raycom in some form or another. But uh, that, that reminds me. <laughs> the Spectrum Sports as well, too. Was one right? That sounds about right, and I think they still technically have the license to the Hawaii home games in some way. Um That will always end up with a weird kind of setup to watch those games, where it's—I think they shifted finally to pay-per-view in the in the state of Hawaii, but it's not pay-per-view for all of us outside of Hawaii because that is by far one of the strangest uh, broadcasting deals in college. Oh my goodness! You know what? It has been about an hour. I think I'm going to slowly wrap this up, um, just so we can get a nice tight hour bode on this one. Um, it's off season. We'll save some stuff for next week. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then? Maybe Bill O'Brien will be the next head coach of Boston College. Maybe we'll find out if who is his replacement. Maybe Chip Kelly will be in the NFL. I mean, there, there's so many random stories out there that. Uh, Um, It's hard to predict. I love it. I mean, you know, we never got to the fact that Mizzou apparently got a $62 million gift, 12 of which will go to the NIL initiative um, with an anonymous donor. So again, you know, it's interesting to see some of these moves. Who knows what the SEC and Big Ten will do in their new advisory groups. They've not been optimistic about what was going to go on in the CFP meetings in Dallas yesterday and today. We'll see. There's so many things that could go wrong. John, I see your hand up. Did you want to add something before we take off?
1: Yep, real quick. Um, Who who you think wins on Sunday?
0: Oh, man. NFL. All right. So I have a good friend who's a huge NFL guy. And he invited me to uh, – because his team – and I respect this. He stuck with this way beyond where most people would stop. So he was a huge Joe Montana fan. So you think, oh, he's a guy. No, he stuck with Joe Montana when he went to the Kansas City Chiefs. And then when he retired with the Kansas City Chiefs, he stayed a Kansas City Chiefs fan because that was where Joe Montana finished his career. So I went with him. He grew up in, we grew up in Bakersfield together, right? So I went with him on his 40th birthday. We went to his very first uh, Kansas City Chiefs game in person. So I, I kind of respect the Chiefs because of that. This is several years ago at this point, probably five years ago. And so I'm thinking they're going to win, but that that is, uh, that is my uh, completely unscientific bet on that ski master Murphy. I see your hand up and I'm sure John has his thoughts.
2: Uh, I'm going with the 49ers just specifically because of their offense. I mean, this is a little inside baseball, but because they have no true personnel package to those that make sense. They have no true 21 personnel, 12 personnel because of the interchangeability of Christian McCaffrey Devo Samuel, George Kittle, and Kyle Yushek. I think there's 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 gonna be certain plays where they go um, like how uh Oklahoma used to go, where they would shoot down the field where it's like, hey, we're just gonna no huddle how get up to the line as quick as possible, give me no chance to sub, and we're gonna exploit a mismatch that you didn't know was on the field. And I think San Francisco can do that with basically like their
0: interchangeable pieces on of offense.
2: That's who I'm gonna pick. And also I don't want Taylor Swift to win.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. So we got t Swift in there too. Oh my goodness.
1: Uh, John, what's your thought on the game? Yeah, I, I think the real—I uh, think the winner will be Taylor Swift on uh, on Sunday. I, I think that's that's what's going on Sunday, right? It's just, it's a Taylor Swift concert. I I didn't know there was an actual game game. I just thought we were all there for uh, to watch a, a Taylor Swift stream. Uh, that's weird, but um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, you yeah, know I'll, I'll probably I I think I got I gotta go see him as I think the 49ers... I hate to I hate to say it because as a Falcons fan I, I can't stand watch Kyle Shanahan win a Super Bowl considering what happened to us several years ago. Um, but uh, I I think I do think the the ers win. I, I suffer Taylor Swift fans do not suffer, and I I think everyone still still has a good time watching the game anyway, no matter what anyone's been saying online.
0: <laughs> man i am so old i, I was just thinking that uh because we use a college football we have a, not a cultural we have a slack channel to talk you know how we run things and uh, we, we have lots of side conversations and i said literally today i'm like i was so uh, so out of touch in 2016 i even found my message to, to the group in 2016 i'm like i see taylor swift as, as a disposable pop culture icon and then I, I went like, you know, and I actually found the comments I made years later. And I'm like, you know what? I think the shelf life is a little longer because I always I always judge people up against Madonna because that was like somebody who stayed relevant forever, right? You know, and, and I think, well, maybe she's done that. She somehow galvanized uh, another generation, the Gen Zers to be indoors. So, you know, more power to her, more, more power to that. And uh, we'll see. I mean, I think there's an untapped market. She should do a collaboration with uh, Insane Clown Posse. Uh, I'm not a juggalo, but I think it would be hilarious to see Swifties and juggalos get together. Maybe get a a song like "Magnetic Love," uh, something like that. I don't know. asks <laughs> Murphy because we're we're really far afield here as we're kind of slowly wrapping this up. But I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: since allegedly she's going to remix the song, and you were talking about music, do you know what swag surfing is? What
0: I, I didn't hear what you said.
2: Do, are you are you aware what swag surfing is? Because she's planning to remix the song, so you're probably going to hear it. Uh,
0: I am not, and I am now. My age is absolutely coming out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, I really hope, hope, I really hope she becomes like a fan of, like a big Alabama fan or georgia a usc fan next year i just i wanted i wanted to you know just keep taking over the football market oh my
0: gosh you know, uh, go for
1: go for college football next year just to just just for the
0: chaos man i want to let's, let's go full chaotic in the fall <laughs> all <laughs> right well we'll see if it goes in that direction what a what a way to wrap this one up on college football here on RC rcfb talk 180 well um we're gonna go to tie the bow on this one my name is bob mackayiri if you missed the beginning of this, it automatically turns into a recording. Um, we'll be sure to put a recording of this into wherever you get your podcasts Is our CFB Talk. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to all of you. It's always a pleasure listening to those of you who want to come up here and talk. And of course, John and Ski Master Murphy, it's always great having you up here. Every Tuesday night, we do these. Feel free to join us. Feel free to add to the conversation, hit request. We're going to go ahead and wrap this one up right now. Thanks so much for listening. Now, I'm going to hang up. And listen.